0: Hello there, this podcast is all about sex, so stop listening now if that's not what you're after. This podcast was made with the support of New Zealand On Air.
1: Kia ora koutou and welcome to another bonus episode of The Good Sex Project. I'm your host Melody Thomas and this is what we've been calling our Relationships Masterclass. Following on from episode 6 of The Good Sex Project, which is all about long-term monogamous relationships, we hosted a live conversation on stuff.co.nz with sex and relationships therapist and author Nick Bates. This is That Conversation. It's full of incredible insights into the psychology of romantic relationships, like how they work and why we struggle, as well as practical tools for addressing those things and increasing intimacy and connection. Nick Bates has specialised in relationship and sex therapy for more than three decades He's the author of the self-help book for couples called Make Love Work which was published this year by Ellen and Unwin Nick has been with his partner, fellow psychologist Verity Tom for 43 years since he was 17 years old and they share two children Nick also provides training and supervision in relationships therapy to other therapists Welcome Nick
0: It is a delight. I'm looking forward
1: to it. Same. There is so much rich, complex subject matter, and I always find it really hard to know where to start in that case. Um, So we'll begin with some more scene setting. In the Good Sex Project, I will have been heard to say that part of why we struggle in relationships is because nobody gives us the tools to navigate them, but I actually think it might be worse than that. Mm -hmm. I think in many ways we may actually be set up to fail. Or it seems that way by what we're led to believe a good relationship looks and feels like, and what it actually looks and feels like. Do you agree with that yeah. statement? You seem to.
0: I'm nodding furiously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So, I mean, I devoted the first chapter of my book to misinformation because we are, we have fed a whole bunch of, I tend to think of it now as propaganda that really, really points us in the wrong direction.
1: And in, in the series, I talk a lot about Disney because I think a lot of the propaganda mm. came for me from there, but it'll the media are diverse where you will yeah. pick up these messages. Um, at the start of your book, you include a really handy quiz so people can start to figure out what ideas they've inherited about relationships. Mm-hmm. So before you kind of gently gently nudge them towards looking at things differently. So I thought we could start by me reading a couple of the statements and people watching can answer to themselves whether these are true or false statements and then we'll, we'll get in and tell them what you think. Are you ready? True or false? Relationships get easier over time. If it gets harder, there's something wrong with it. Give them a second. All right, Nick. What's the answer? I know well, what, we th- what we think it is.
0: Well, I think, you know, I certainly think it's one of those bits of miseducation that we're given, that if you find the right one, then it'll all be easy and it'll get easier. And the more you know each other, the easier it'll be. And that's just not the way it works. Um, uh, um, Verity, my, my partner, uh, puts it beautifully. She says, you know, relationships start 80, start out easy, they get hard. And then if you do the right work, they become strong but they get hard first mm. and they get hard because you become increasingly important to each other. Um, if you invest in the relationship, if it's a committed relationship or uh, what I would call an attachment relationship, then, um, you know, if, if I'm in a relationship with you and we have uh, an investment of, uh, you know, years together, whole circle of friends together, property together, and, you know, heaven help us a parcel of kids together then um, there's so much at stake if you, you know, if you reject me, if you fall out of love with me, if you don't want me anymore. And so there's a huge sort of sense of threat to the our, our sense of self. And mm. sadly, our brain doesn't distinguish between threats to our psychological self and threats to our body. So the same parts of our brain, the same fight, flight, freeze, Uh, reflexes that that are kicked off if somebody was physically attacking you, can be triggered just by the thought of having a disagreement with your partner, not even having an actual disagreement, like your partner's sitting on the couch watching Netflix, and you're thinking about having a disagreement with them, and you can get triggered totally into that sort of fight-flight-freeze, and unfortunately, that part of the brain um, tends to generate behavior that is self-protective and relationship Destructive.
1: I was going to say that's why we're so gracious and respectful during arguments with our lovers.
0: Ooh yes,
1: <laughs> heavy sarcasm Ooh, yes. intended, mm. because we, are, we, because so much is on the line, and we we think it's all under threat.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and and, and I mean, I'm not even sure that I'd use the word think, because think implies the thinking part of our brain. The thinking part of our brain is not involved. We we feel, we sense, and again, our. our our language doesn't actually accurately map onto how our brain works. You know, because we use the word feel to describe emotions, but these are more what I would think of as impulses to protect yourself.
1: So I th- soon we will get into a little bit of how to have those conversations more constructively. We will come back to that, but I just want to read another couple of statements before we dive into that um, a bit deeper. True or false? Closeness is the same as intimacy. You should aim to always feel close to your partner. Yes. No? What do you reckon? Well, I have spoken to you enough to know that closeness is not the same as intimacy. And that intimacy is often a lot more uncomfortable.
0: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, this is a jargon use of these, these terms. And closeness and intimacy are normally used by many people as, as synonyms. And, you know, in the language, that's fine. But I find it really useful to use them to point to very different experiences. So closeness is is when things are warm and easy and comfortable and maybe there's a sense of merger between us. And that's really nice. It's a lovely place to hang out. And arguably it's kind of why we're in relationship is to to feel somebody is that close and we feel that easy and comfortable and safe with them. But uh, in that space um our our differences are kind of erased or are not important but if i'm actually being open and 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 vulnerable with myself if i'm really showing you who i am then our differences are going to be e- exaggerated or well, highlighted not exaggerated sorry highlighted mm. and um and the thing is that when i show you what's really going on inside me um i'm making myself vulnerable and vulnerability is never comfortable i don't think you know, it's just—it's just like if I share something, you know, about myself with you, and I don't know how you're going to respond. That that moment is really quite a moment of anxiety, a moment—a moment of fear. Um, and um, so going into that space where I'm really sharing myself with you is a is a vulnerable experience, and it, and it needs to be uncomfortable. And And then if it turns out you're in a really different place from me or you want something that's really different from me, then we have a conflict. We have a a difference between us. And that's a really scary place because I'm really invested in the relationship. And what if this is the disagreement that causes us to break up? You know, people... uh, And... Not that that's necessarily a rational thought, but our brains are always, you know, our brains are wide. We're evolutionary geared to look for worst case scenarios. So mm. our brains go there, sadly.
1: A moment ago, you said, you know, that closeness is arguably why a lot of us seek out relationships anyway, but I can't remember, remember if it's in your book or if it's something we've spoken about previously. But I've seen, I've seen you say that, that the intimacy and the growth and the challenge is actually what relationships are for, or what they will give us.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is we're getting almost into philosophy here. I, I mean, I Love you it. know uh, the the, um, uh, the one of my mentors, the late uh, uh, David Snarsh who who wrote uh, *Passionate Marriage* and um, other books. Um, he he had this phrase. He used the term "marriage" to describe any committed long-term relationship and he said marriage is a people-growing machine that, that that we get into you know we make all this investment with you know with somebody and we get really hooked into them and then at some point our limitations our insecurities our anxieties will cause trouble in the relationship and we have a choice at that point to either end the relationship or mature and grow and get better at, at understanding and managing ourselves and that there's you know there's such a big incentive that then that you know, um, we we often will mature. We often will grow. And um, the couple in in, in your uh, last episode were a great example of that.
1: weren't they wonderful? I l- I love them so much. I have one more uh, statement from the book to read. Another true or false statement. The way to improve your relationship is to let your partner know what they're doing that's unhelpful, hurtful, or wrong. Mm. True or false what I love about your book first before we give the answer is that at the beginning, you very clearly state a lot of people will have picked up this book because they want to know how to convince their partner that they're wrong, but actually they're going to learn that they are contributing to, or something along those lines.
0: (laughs) Sounds like me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's, when I when I hear that question kind of in isolation, it's. Kind of, I mean, it is actually okay to tell your partner of things you're doing, that you're yeah, you should do that. with what they're doing. That's okay, mm. but it's um, generally speaking, um, you know, if you if you're trying to change somebody, the person, the only person you have control over is yourself, and that trying to change your partner as opposed to inform them about things that you know mm. you're feeling um, is a complete you know waste of time and energy, and you know. It's, many people have found the hard way
1: yeah i guess what i like about that statement and about a lot of the book is and and it's true to my own experience is that um you know improving your relationship and all your relationships in your life will, will always start with self we'll mm. always start with looking at yourself and your own insecurities and the patterns you picked up when you were younger and all of those things and figuring out how mm. you react and how you can do that better
0: and If you haven't listened yet, go and listen to episode two of The Good Sex Project, which explains that really, really well.
1: (laughs) Beautiful plug. Thank you, Nick. Um, All right. I'm going to... So when we talk about self-knowledge and how that can benefit not just ourselves, but all of our relationships, are we... I don't know how deep we want to go. Are we talking about schema? Are we talking about attachment theory? probably all of these theories are looking at mm. very similar things. Can you just explain to us just a little bit about what kinds of things we should be looking for in ourselves and what, I guess, what the clues are and how we might go about starting to unpack those things?
0: Okay. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> that question ended up somewhere different from where, yeah, it, yeah. where it began because <laughs> yeah you know, there's a whole bunch of theory and I... I don't think we need to get into that? I think no. your question is a good one. Um, so there, there, there are lots of theories and there are lots of jargon that you can use to talk about these things, and they all they, they're interesting ways to think about it, um, intellectually. But in, if you're looking at yourself, then um, you have to look at, um, you know actually what you learned about yourself and your yourself in relationship growing up. And often that is really hard to see because whatever you grow up with is normal for you, in fact. um, And um, so you may have grown up in a family where um, there wasn't a lot of expressed emotion. It just wasn't what people in your family did. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, children are very expressive, but you may, you know, in in your upbringing, you may have been trained out of that. Right? Not cruelly. doesn't have to be cruelly, but you just, you know, it just wasn't. And you learn not to do that. You learn to keep your emotions suppressed, hidden, inside. Um and that's just normal. You don't, you, you know, by the time you're an adult, you're not thinking, there's no conscious choice in that at all. It's just who you are. You know, I'm not a very expressive person, you might say. And it's realizing, actually, that's not how I was born. That's not, you know, that's not the natural state of a child. So that's a, that's a learning that I've done somewhere. Um, and, you know, um, I find it difficult to believe that, um, I'm worth wanting, you know, I find up because I, so then I, I keep thinking my partner's going to leave me. And underneath that is a fear. I'm not worth wanting. And you need to think, well, hang on. I mean, Hey, you've got to recognize that that's what you're doing, because what we tend to do is think about our partner rather than think about ourselves. So you've got to turn that lens on yourself. And then you've got to think, well, hang on, why am I always thinking, you know, whoever I'm worth, I'm thinking they're about to leave me. You know, and it and might not be really, even
1: be that conscious, right? You might not even be aware that you're on edge, waiting for them to leave.
0: No. no. Yeah. So that's tricky. But if you do, then you got to think, where did I? Where, where did I learn that? You know? And it's really, I mean, this stuff is very difficult to work out mm. by by yourself. Um, but people do. I think a couple of, a couple in your last episode did. You know? And people do. They they go, what is going on here? This is, I, I, you know, I'm not behaving the ways I want to with with this person I love. What is going on with me? And they start thinking about it. And you certainly, if you look, you know, if you look, you will see things. And I mean, I'm a parent. You're a parent, you know. Um, and you know, no parent is perfect. Uh, and, no, uh, not a shame. Okay, <laughs> okay, well, maybe you are, but you've got. I have to say, you've got gorgeous kids. But um, you know, so do you. Continue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. But um. You know, uh, so so you don't have to have had a bad childhood for things to things to have impacted in, on you. And the other thing is, kids have weird, weird minds. You know that kids kids uh, you know cognitive abilities um, are, are limited, and their ability to you know see the big picture and take mm. it see it from somebody else's point of view, and that makes them draw quite strange conclusions about how their parents are thinking about them or what their what their parents' behavior means to them. And so, you, you know, it's not all about trauma and tragedy in your early childhood. Um, and the other thing, of course, is that if there's the absence of something in your childhood, so, you know, I don't know, you know, the, the absence of attuned a responding, so parents actually recognizing what your emotional need is and meeting it, you know, you can you can think, I've had a great childhood. All right? and, and you have no awareness of what you've missed out on. So that can be very very hard to see and again you have to sort of look at where things are going wrong and then try and work backwards. And this is and, you know there comes a point at which I mean certainly in my life I've gone to a therapist because it's like I couldn't work out what was going on for for myself. Very helpful
1: therapist. Also Somewhat expensive, which is why we are here offering this advice for free. Yeah, and that's why I wrote the book. But it's a good way, exactly, and why there are excellent resources like your book out there.
0: Yeah, I mean, Um, you know, I put lots of exercises in the book, and, you know, because it's like, here's some things you can do work, work, work on this, you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that. There's there's also. huge differences in how we are socialized. And I'm thinking yes. particularly along gender lines at the moment um, yeah. and the ways that, you know, children that are raised as girls or raised as boys are socialized differently and how that may later impact mm. their relationships. Can you speak to that a little bit? I know that it will be really different from person to person, but are mm. there patterns and things you see repeat?
0: I mean, through your work? A- there absolutely are. And you know, I, I work primarily with heterosexual couples, so and so people with you know strong identification with with, with you know with male or female gender. So that that's the, the the population I'm mostly working with. Um and um you know what I see, and as you say, there are there are many exceptions, but what I see is often is that um the 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 women that I'm working with struggle to feel like they're important in their own lives, and the men struggle to feel like they're good enough. No, as I say, there are many exceptions, but there's, there's a big, you know, there's a big cohort in, in the, both those genders, And I think, you know, you, you, you look at it and, you know, so, so often, uh, you know, girls are being trained to be pleasing. And the, the sort of subtext of being pleasing is ignore what you feel, do what other people want. And so the message is you're not, what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you want is not important. And meanwhile boys are being uh, discouraged from feeling <laughs> and uh, often actually you know punished uh, in at least in the in the sort of strictly behavioral sense of kind of you know getting frowns and disapproval and you know or withdrawal of attention if they if they they are di- they're emotional, but they are being encouraged to compete and mm. to see things to see life as a contest and you're either a winner or a loser and a lot of men are, end up, Feeling like losers, feeling like they're not good enough, feeling, you know, and and then you know, striving really hard and and being driven, you know, but being driven is actually being chased, you know. Being driven comes from animal husbandry. It's you know, from from the point of view of a cow or a sheep, being driven means you're being chased by a wolf. It's not a happy birthday. <laughs>
1: no, and I can see when we when we look at things through that lens, I can see. Um, It gives me a lot of clarity around a a particular type of circular conversation that I've heard a lot of uh, couples and especially long-term monogamous hetero couples having, which is often she, but not always, will bring up something that is not working, that is difficult, Mm. and then presumably, because he is working so hard to be worthy and good and not be seen as a loser, jumps mm-hmm. to defensiveness mm-hmm. and can't hear what's being said to him. That's and um, and again, and, you could flip yeah, those genders, and that would be repeated.
0: Yep, mm. yep. And I, yes, I've certainly seen I've certainly seen it reversed, and I've certainly seen it in same-sex couples. So it's it's not it's not exclusively, but yes, it often plays out that way in heterosexual couples. And then you add the thing that that. W- women, I think, are much, uh, uh, you know, again, on average, are much more trained into into being vulnerable and into tolerating and being being kind of okay with the notion of the discomfort of vulnerability, of, of sharing in, intimately with their mothers, with their peers, you know, and, and then expect that in, in a relationship. And guys have had that, you know, trained out of them, sometimes literally beaten out of them. And so when their partner tries to bring up something like that, a concern, that this is a problem or or whatever, you know, all, all they know how to do is to treat it as an attack and a criticism, and so that all you get is defense. And, and the notion of kind of going to, whoa, I'm having a big reaction to it. You know, talking vulnerably. I mean, it's literally not on, you know, not in their mind, not in their lexicon, no part of their lived experience. And so, uh, you know, at times uh, it feels like, um, you know, you, you, you often. Um, I often hear it. Sorry, that you know the, the men kind of really feel like they're they're back they're ambushed, mm. and they don't know what to do. They're you know well intentioned men, but they really have no idea. They've have been given no training, or oh, as you said right at the top, they've been given you know m- m- mistraining about mm. how to respond in those situations. So,
1: how do we learn that? <laughs> Where does that? How,
0: how, how to ch- how to change it? How yeah.
1: do we learn? how to hear a critique of ourselves or our behaviour and not go straight to, Mm. I'm a loser, you're going to leave me and instead think, you know what, this is a behaviour I need to work on but I overall Mm. am a good person and we can do this.
0: Yeah, I mean... The, there's, there's, there's no real easy answer that we've got. To, we have to train, you know, we have to parent our kids differently is how, how, how we start that one. Um, That's
1: great for the people who right now yep. are trying to do that.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yep. We'll do so the parenting are, session next. Keep, keep, <laughs> keep it up, please. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I think um, at, at, at the core is that, oh, you know, back to my quote from Dave Snash: marriage is a people-growing machine, um, You know, having that mindset that actually, you know, I'm I'm in this relationship, you know, to have fun and pleasure and relaxation and and companionship and all that, but I'm also here to learn and grow. And and having that growth mindset and understanding, well, actually we we learn and grow through um, usually trial and error, you know, Mm. (laughs) through looking at mistakes and kind of going, oh, okay, that didn't work so well. And you know, you you have to you have to have enough care about your partner. you better got to go. Actually, what I'm doing is causing my partner real distress, and I don't I don't like that. Uh, and and I want to try and learn how to do something different. And it's not working well for me because when you know when when, uh, when I feel attacked uh, and I get defensive and it all goes to 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 crap, then you know it's not fun for me either.
1: I feel like often, though, that part is preceded by a period of time where everything was going fine, and we were getting along so well. And do we have to? Why do we have to do this? And so I feel like it can be quite hard to see the benefit of the hard stuff. You know, it's, it, you can you can be really like, can we just rewind to that good stuff? But the stuff on the other side of that really gnarly, vulnerable stuff hmm. is so much better. <laughs> I don't know how we convince people of that
0: well it's that it's it's yeah and, and it's um, <clears throat> it's um and it's that whole issue of intimacy and and you know and it's mm. hard because you know, the word intimacy has now been co-opted as a euphemism for sex and i'm I'm talking about you know emotional intimacy which may include sexual but may not you I um, love
1: what you say when you say into me see it's about yeah.
0: that yeah yeah it's it, yeah yeah it, it's a good way to remember it intimacy yeah. is into me see. And and realizing that you know that that's often scary. It's a vulnerable place, and and that's okay. But you know, so so many people have been socialized to believe that that making yourself vulnerable is a sign of weakness, it's, it's, you know. Whereas it's the opposite. It's it requires real strength of character, real emotional fortitude, to actually hold yourself steady in that vulnerable place of, of intimacy. Mm. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You
1: don't want to be held to account what, no, on what? What? rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a you that got your Hang response. into the National Party's attack <laughs> no, line no, there that think it, was- it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing if in there. That sits on. with you perfectly fine. That's, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband.
0: That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret.
1: In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth... Of infertility, unless you've been in it, it's it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also this is really weird, but baby showers—you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor, who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like you'll probably never have a natural period again, and you'll probably never have a baby. The human race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives. To create a life, I feel like I nearly missed out, and I got to do it, and so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz/slash/the-human-race, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate. We have had some questions come in from uh, podcast listeners and Mm -hmm. people who follow stuff on Instagram, and we're going to answer a couple of them. We picked these two because they give us some good jumping off points into other conversations. Um, As I said at the beginning of the session, if people have other questions or other things they want to hear discussed, they can email goodsexproject at gmail.com. We may not get to that. We definitely won't this evening. Not at this rate, Um, (laughs) but we will look to get to it in future. So our first, this is a, I imagine, a very common question for you. I see it a lot in clickbaity pieces online, but we're going to dive a bit deeper than that. Um, How to get the flame back in a long-term relationship after kids slash busy lives? How do we get back to the sparky part?
0: Um, I think I think um, hear the back, can you hear the back too in in your sentence and uh, I think Dan Savage talked about that in, in in the episode. It's like don't think you know don't think it's going to be the same as it was. Oh,
1: think, and Emily think, Nagoski was like, "You don't you <laughs> stop don't.
0: trying." Yeah, okay, all the experts are saying the same thing. It might, yeah. it might be something. There might be something to it. You know. Mm. So yeah, I, I think. You know, you can't you can't jump into the river, you know, the, in the same place, right? It's 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 like life m- moves on and changes. And um, I
1: like that analogy.
0: But um, but you certainly can have a really rich and rewarding uh, sexual relationship. I think the first thing is to is is it important to you? Is it a priority for where you're at and where you you know the energy you have? right now some people you know they're really in in survival mode um they're struggling they're working three jobs to you know put food on the table on a roof over, over their head you know and it it may just not be that practical i mm. mean and i think that's okay i think that's okay if it's not where you're at however you know there, there are many people and you know who, who who um you know they, you know, maybe maybe that things are a bit tight, but they, you know, they are secure in their home, and the you know, and and um, food's on the table, and and so you know, but they're busy, and especially if they've got a young family, they're, they're very busy. And one of the things I I say to uh, people, especially if you've got pre preschool age children, there is never going to be enough emotional energy to go around in that system. There mm. is all you know, you're always going to be uh, dealing with a, with a deficit, and you've got to go okay, well. You know, what gives, what gives. And, you know, sometimes it has to be, um, you have to think about the priorities because some people will end up, well, I'll just, well, always, always, always put the children first and I will drive myself into complete depletion. Um, and I don't think that's actually ultimately in the long term best interests of your children, actually. Mm. Um, so you've got to make it a priority. You, you've got to actually go, you know, you've got to both be, you know, be genuinely going, look, I actually, we, we got to find a way to, to um, have. know resume a sex life it's an important part of who i am and what i want for my life okay if you're both in that place then you got to plan then you got to organize and i know emily Vygotsky is also a big fan of planning and you know uh, and me too Uh, um, and it's that it's that thing of oh but it's not spontaneous like well again there's the miseducation there's the rom-coms telling you that it should all just happen without you know without any any, and it's like it doesn't happen like that for most Mm. of us with with kids you got to get organized you got to plan you got to make a priority you got to set boundaries. Um, and somebody asked somebody asking me about you know what happens when your kids walk into you and I, working on you having sex. You know, is it? And, and it's kind of like, well, why didn't you have a lock on the door? Why? Why isn't there a boundary? You know, to to protect your your you know so that you can have the from the freedom of privacy and also protect your kids from having to deal mm. with that experience.
1: Yeah, no one wants that.
0: <clears throat> no one wants that.
1: <laughs>
0: um, it doesn't. Ruin your kids forever, just by the way. Oh um, well, I will
1: inquire <laughs> that about that with them after.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, uh, people and then people go, "Oh no, but I, I, you know, I wouldn't. You know, I, I would never put a lock between me and my children." And it's kind of like, "Okay, well, you know, we, we're we're talking about a little slidey lock that somebody got his knee break breakdown." But yeah, it, you're it, not it, putting uh, them
1: in a cage. You're you're
0: not, just... Yeah, yeah, and, and so it's like so the, the so it's being unwilling to have a boundary, mm. right? Having or, or you know place. You know your your intimate relationship. Um, I mean, intimate literally. You know, as in time for us to really just be together and be safe, and you know, and and be sexual. Um, how did I get onto that? So, uh, um, so priorities. Plan. So plan. You know, boundaries. Plan. So you know timing. Um, you know, again. Uh, um, I'm I'm as much of a Nagoski fan as you are, so you know I keep. Um, but you know she she she's so good, and that that thing of thing, of, you know, actually what tends to get in the way of our sex lives are the brakes, not the ex, you know not the accelerators, not the absence of a sex, driver, but the brakes. So then, yeah, how do we remove you know weight off the brake pedal? You know, and for people so who time, want more timing. context,
1: her book yeah. "Come As You Are" or the episode of the podcast that we just made, episode yeah. six of the Good Sex Project, has more on that. But yes, the brakes are the things that it's more important most of the time to pay attention to the things yeah. that are slamming on the brakes that are getting in the way than, yeah. you know, a lack of things that are turning you on and making you excited.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, so, so for example, um, I, you know, I think for a lot of people with young children, sex in the morning is better because they haven't been in that parenting role all day. Mm. So they're a little bit more in, able to be in touch with themselves, just as an example. So that time of day context... I'm creating enough privacy. Trying to find, try to create a way where you have some energy. And I mean, you know, if you if you are in the blessed situation of of having people who can care for your kids, whānau or, or, or friends, you know, getting some time away from them, some some actual me time and some couple time, that it, that isn't you know isn't about we have to look at the, the needs of a kid. That generally tends to help people find their way back to, into onto a sexual wavelength. And then I think the other thing is that is that whole notion of uh, you know not getting caught up in the, the myth of spontaneous or not the you know the the, the spontaneous sex is is the way it is has the to one. be. And and realizing that you can you know if you have if you have the if you have the the willingness if you want to have sex then start being sexual and find your way into the feeling like it and it may not happen I think that away. was
1: revolutionary for me coming to understand
0: that. Mm.
1: So spontaneous sex is what we see a lot of the time in movies. Oh my gosh, all over each other, up against a wall, whatever, out of nowhere. Yep. But remind me what the opposite of spontaneous or the other option. Responsive desire. Responsive desire, which is how it works for a lot of people in a lot of situations, is Mm. you have the will, you don't. Necessarily feel the turned on or kind of horny feeling at that moment, but you have the will. It is important. It's a priority. So you maybe reach out, you connect, you touch, and the the turned on bit comes after. And yeah. uh, and desire works for that way for a lot of people a lot of the time. A
0: lot of people. A lot of people. More. So if you're not men. feeling
1: sparky, sparky all the time, you are normal. That is how it works a lot yep. of the time.
0: Mm. And. Even if you did at some point in your life, you may not at some other points in your life because of, you know, whatever you know, changes in your in your system, your physiology, mm-hmm. whatever. And so, for a lot of people, particularly as they age, you know, <clears throat> grey beard, you know, um, I can't
1: relate, I can't relate.
0: No, 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 no. You're no. still so young, <laughs> um, but uh, the you know the, the you know the, all the hormones that were supporting kind of that that feeling of horniness they go, but it's like you don't have to give up on sex at that point. Um, but you have to learn how to get there, um, mm. some other way than just feeling like it. So for me, it's the, I, the, the, it's the language I use. It's like, do you want sex? Doesn't you know? If, if you want sex, then then work towards it and organize and plan and and create a context that that will allow it to happen. But don't you don't wait. Don't wait till you feel like it because it may that may never happen.
1: In this the episode of the podcast that we're largely referring to, episode six, I spoke with Clementine Ford, who's a feminist and author from Australia. Mm. We're not going to get too much into it because I know that there, you and I have differing thoughts, perhaps on her. Um, no, no, no,
0: not very different.
1: <laughs> not too different. We could get a lot into the nuance. I guess is what I'm what I'm trying to say. But she receives a lot of messages from almost entirely women, who mm. are dealing with, uh, you know, they are managing the majority of the domestic labor, of the emotional labor mm. within the house. They are burned out. They want her advice on how to make their usually male partners contribute, see them, hear them, mm. all those things. The reason I'm, I'm bringing this up now is because in that kind of situation, I can understand why the want wouldn't be there and, sure. and why it might be. Or why it might be one-sided. I've also talked to women who say he only touches me when he wants sex, and yeah. that makes me really resentful. He never touches me in the rest of the time. Yeah. So if it's a situation like that, then I'm guessing you're not starting with let's schedule sex. <laughs> I feel like there's other no. steps before that. No, mm-hmm. no,
0: because because in that in that scenario, one person is not wanting sex. Right. Not what they're mm-hmm. wanting is you know is a partner to support them. Um, and I think, um, the, the, um, this is, this is one of those times when I really, I really don't like being a man having this conversation. I don't like it when I'm talking with my female clients either, because, um, because generally speaking, um, you know, so there are, you know, there, there are, there are men who are abusive, who are controlling, who, who really will not, you know, will not care care for their partners, and will, you know, or, or who are immensely selfish and will just if, if anything's expected, they'll walk away. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about reasonably well well disposed men, but they are the benefits of the, the beneficiaries of, of male privilege, and they they expect women to, you know, to to fulfil certain roles, to pick up the slack if they if if they drop things. And the trouble is that women play along with that. They think it, they, you know, they they. And this,
1: well they are socialized
0: this, to do that they're yeah. socialized to do it they and there initially there's a lot of reward right mm. because they get they get you know they get a lot, a lot of love and a lot of appreciation for all the work that they're doing initially mm. but <laughs> then it, get, it gets taken for granted yeah and um, and uh, you know often women are not sufficiently assertive soon enough. Uh, and so they get, get to the point where they are absolutely fed up before they really are willing to make a stand. Mm. And what I've seen is when they really do make a stand, again, not all, but many of their partners will actually come to the party. Now, you have to you have to be really assertive and you've got to be persistent and you've got to be serious and you've got to be willing to follow through. But it's like, you know, if there, because so many of these people end up in a relationship that they, that is really not working for them, that, that, that they are getting so little benefit out of it. Um, and it's like, why won't you, you know, act before you get to that point? Because by then it's, it's, it's a lot harder to sort out.
1: And that's, I'm guessing that's part of why you sometimes hear, um, and again, I've mostly heard this from women, but it might not be the case that it's always women, but people say by the time they woke up and started, you know, actually changing or whatever, it was too late and I was out. It was a year later and I had already emotionally clocked out by that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. because one, you're not being listened to, but also potentially you were not advocating strongly enough for yourself from the beginning.
0: Yeah, and and, I mean, and I don't want to let men off the hook here. I I mean, it's it's uh, it's uh, what I'm talking about is a a, is a pragmatic kind of thing. It, It you know, it's about it's about the person who's on the on the low side of a power differential is always the person who's going to need to do the work, and it's really really unfair. But the people with privilege tend not to give it up. Um, you know, easily. Even, even if they sort intellectually go, "Oh, yeah, this is not right," but it's really, really hard to mm. actually do a whole bunch of extra work when you don't have to.
1: Yeah, and that's somebody, why somebody can't. like Clementine, who gets those questions all the time now, just will say, "Leave them." But your your response is possibly a little less
0: black and white. Well, I mean, I think I certainly think people, you know, people should have a bottom line. But I think you you you, you know, it is. It, these days, I mean, what I see is people giving up on relationships before they've really, really tried. And mm-hmm. I think, particularly if you've invested a whole lot of year of your your you know, your years of your life and you've got some kids and you know, there's a lot of downside to giving up to 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 walking out. And um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of people say, Oh, he'll never do this and he'll never do that. And then, you know, he actually has. He's come to the party, you know, it's so uh, it's like, you know, I've had some you know, in thirty years, I've seen a lot of a lot of people say this will never happen, and then it happens. So, you know, can you they, do you don't feel don't like you,
1: do you feel like you can say what it was that got that made that change? Do you, a lot of I know it's going to change from time, but you know, you're saying be strong, assert yourself. But is there yeah. is that like I'm leaving <laughs> well, <laughs> if I, we I, continue I, on this path? Yeah, this I, will be I, over.
0: I, I think you know it's really important. To, to have a you know to have the self respect and, and and to have a bottom line, but it's not it's not well, you haven't done what I wanted, so therefore I'm leaving. It, that's that's you know kind of usually manipulative, actually yeah. it's said that way. Yeah. But I think that kind of saying, hey, this is really not working for me, and there's a whole bunch of little things, but they add up to to a situation that is really really oppressing me. You know you know driving me nuts. I, I hate it. I'm, I'm I can see myself really really, and I can see I'm looking ahead, and I, you know. I still love you. I want to be with you. But I can see if this goes on like this, I'm not going to be here, you know, and I don't want that to happen. But right now I've done all I can. I've, I've brought this to you many, many times and, you, you know, you're not changing and you need to understand, I'm serious. I will walk. Eventually I will walk. Not this week, not this month, but I can't promise you about next year if things don't change. Right, so it's it's you know it's not it's not a sort of anger. Well, maybe there might be some anger behind it, but it's not a sort of rageful. It's it's like, look, here's the information you need to know, know. It's an intimate conversation. Here's what's going on with me. You make your own choice, buddy. Because even though we have a couple of kids, I am not willing to live like this anymore. This is just not okay for me. It's not fair. It's not equitable, and I'm not having fun.
1: Beautifully worded, it is. 845 which means that we we're going to we'll keep going for as for as long as we need to but you know not too much longer so what i'm going to do is i'm going to read our the second audience question very quickly mm. it's not going to take us long because i thought it would lead us into some nice spontaneous desire conversation that we've already mm. been over so this is basically a yes or no question for you now should i feel guilty that i'm the only one instigating sex always enjoyed by both
0: no no. <laughs> that was just, Next. No, I mean, I, I think, I mean, it's, 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 like it's, it's, it's. Well, I actually think it's quite interesting why somebody would feel guilty when they're doing all, all, all the work of initiation. I mean, if their partner, if their partner is genuinely happy with that and really appreciates, you know, doesn't want to be the one initiating and is really grateful that they're doing all the, the initiation, then no, that's Sounds that's great. emotional <laughs> emotional labour that you should be proud of doing. Mm. Um. But if your if your partner is maybe you know enjoys the sex when they have it, but actually isn't kind of being true to their own desire, then that, then there's a again you shouldn't be feeling guilty. But maybe there's a conversation, an intimate conversation about what they really want hmm. that you're missing out on.
1: So we are going to uh, wrap up the session, but we there's there's a few things that I want to cover before we do which. Uh, under the category of tools, so tools mm. for relationships for getting to a deeper place of intimacy, working through issues and crises um, the first one I want to talk about is one that i that was revolutionary for my own relationship, even though it seems so simple and easy, which is I call them chickens. I think you have another mm. word for it how do
0: you call, call them, them Can you call me? them what you like but but it's it's making making time to, to, for it's for intimacy, really. I think I think is what you're talking about, isn't it? It's not so sexual we, intimacy, you know, it's not, it's not, not, not
1: necessarily it, closeness.
0: Yeah, intimacy, not closeness. So it's not, it's not it's not it's not logistics. It's not you know who's doing who's doing swimming lessons and you know it's not it's not you know all the busy running of the, So you need time for that. And you need closeness time. You need time where we're we're not doing anything too heavy. We're just enjoying the fact that we are a couple. I mean, you know, and that's for me is what date night should be like. Right? Date night should be, um, you know, a time to just enjoy, relax, and enjoy being in a couple mm. and, and 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 having fun together. But you need you need a space. I, I, you know, especially if you've got a busy life, you need to you know you need to schedule time where you know that there is that your partner is going to be available. To listen to you for you know a, you know a, a decent length of time. I, I ideally say I say ideally two hours, so that oh, if you wow, get into wait. something heavy, there's room. Now a lot of That's people true. can't achieve that, you know, um, but an hour at least you know an hour where um, where you both know that if there's things going on, you can talk about them, and mm. um, I encourage people to you know almost set an agenda because. Let your partner know so that they have a chance to think about what the issue is. That you know, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not happy about, you know, how often we're having sex, right? Okay, no, that's. Let's talk about that at our, at our chicken.
1: Yeah, and I and a part of that, I guess, is also uh, figuring out how to listen actively and react from a non-defensive place. And but but the actual just the structure of this, I think lends Mm. itself to that because you're not so the way it was taught to us by a therapist was something happens say during the week that you found Mm -hmm. upsetting that reminded you triggered you you don't bring it up then you I write it into my notes pad and you Mm -hmm. make a point of not being like I'm writing this into my notes pad to protect the sacredness (laughs) of the space Um, and then later at a pre-appointed time you sit down and you take turns looking at what you've written down and, mm. and bringing up what is still important to you because some of it may not be and you might yep. not even need to go into it anymore. Yep. We were also at a bit of a crisis point when we learned this tool. So we ended our sessions by saying something that we appreciated about each other, <laughs> which is quite helpful, which we don't need to do anymore. Um, but yeah, just that regular checking in in a non-emotional, non-angry, you know, there may still be ang- a little anger there, but it's rational and it's empathetic. And it's so much more constructive. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing
0: I, I, I encourage people to do is if, you, if you're going to bring up a complaint, a problem, um, begin by framing it up with, um, you know, what, what, what's your positive intention of bringing this up? What is the good thing you're trying to achieve? Like, So it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm still really upset about the way you spoke to me when we were out with our friends on Saturday night um, and I'm bringing this up. Not because I want to have a go at you, but because I can feel myself pulling away from you. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm cold. My non-verbals are a bit, a bit passive-aggressive. I don't want to be like that with you. I want to be close. I want to be loved up. I want us to be having hot sex, and this is getting in the way. And I really want to, I want to lay it to bed so we can, you know, get back to our happy, happy relationship, right? And so then, then your partner, Lovely. you know, has got a framework of where you're coming from. Mm. Um, so. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I'm quite big on sort of preamble, warning, letting people know. So many, so many times, I, I see um, people, and again, in hitery relationships, uh, it's often the women who are raising the issues, and the men feel ambushed. Mm. The woman's had days, weeks, years <laughs> of thinking about it, and has got a real head of steam, and she comes at him, and you know, I have some sympathy, you know, for him feeling ambushed and attacked uh, because of the manner. Mm. because of the manner in which um, John Gottman talks about you know having a soft startup to your to your uh, to your conversations and for me this is kind of how I want one way to structure that it's kind of here's my here's my positive intention
1: I think we probably only have time for one more of these tools Nick and we'll just have to do another session and dive Mm. into the rest and the rest of your incredible book so do you do you want to pick one
0: yeah I I I would really commend to you the the what, 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 what we call on the developmental model the the model I teach the question of attunement. So there's a notion of of trying to be give give your partner what they actually really need rather than what you think they need, and it's what it's it's having a ritual where you ask either either daily or weekly what is one thing I can do this week that will make your week go a little bit better or make you feel more loved, valued, and appreciated. All right, and learning how to answer that question is usually the hard part. Working out actually, what is it that I want from my partner, and being able to give that voice. Mm-hmm. And if you do that regularly, it's clunky to begin with, like any new skill. It's it's. High. But if you do that regularly, and you start practicing accessing yourself and just sharing that, you know, with your partner, here's the information you, you need. You know, and it doesn't it's not, and then you know, and then your partner's going to see that's information. It's not a demand. I don't have to. If what you want doesn't match with where I'm at, that's okay. But at least I Kind know of funny it.
1: to be like, what do you need? Oh, well, I can't do that. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yes. Ask well, the question.
0: It, it, but, you know, if you did it that way, yeah, okay. But it would be, oh, darling. Yeah, no, look, that's not going to happen. And that, that yeah. really worries You know, that really, you know, like, I care. I care that I can't give you what you want. Yeah,
1: beautiful. And you may not not go straight to that level of communication. As you say, it will start out clunky, but you will get there. Mm. None of us were taught this stuff. You just have to practice it and seek guidance when needed. Okay, it is time for us to wrap our session, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us and for your wisdom and warmth. Nick's book is called Make Love Work, a Practical Guide to Relationship Success. Uh, it was released this year through Ellen and Unwin, and as well as great information, it's got really amazing exercises so that you can, more tools, more tools to um, implement in your life and within your relationship. Follow us on Instagram at Project or email GoodSexProject at gmail.com. Thank you again, Nick. So lovely to talk with you about all of this. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm Melody Thomas. I'll see you again soon.